Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. At the end of each week, I am joined by a guest to help us distill and further examine what we heard in trial that previous week. Again this week, my guest is Abby Smith, who serves as Professor of Law and Director of the Criminal Defense and Prisoner Advocacy Clinic at Georgetown University. Together we'll discuss our final week of coverage of the testimony of Kyle Rittenhouse, including the conclusion of Prosecutor Thomas Binger's cross-examination of the defendant. My conversation with Abby Smith is coming up right after the break. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. And now, my conversation with Georgetown Law Professor and Criminal Defense Attorney, Abby Smith. Abby Smith, thank you for joining us today. Good to talk to you, Carrie. We've got you driving from the central part of the East Coast up to the northern part of the East Coast. I hope you're being safe out there. I am, absolutely. Thanks for the good wishes. So this week was quite an eventful one on our little podcast here. We had the conclusion of Prosecutor Thomas Binger's cross-examination of the defendant, Kyle Rittenhouse. And our week began with the prosecutor stepping into it once again with Judge Schrader. The judge severely reprimanded him for bringing up a comment made by the defendant on social media as he was observing looters take stuff from a CVS store. It's a 29-second video. The video was apparently filmed across the street from a CVS pharmacy where several hooded people could be seen rushing out and clutching items. A voice that sounds like Rittenhouse's can be heard saying, bro, I wish I had my effing AR. I'd start shooting rounds at them. It's unclear who filmed the video, where it was filmed, or how prosecutors obtained it. The judge had denied allowing that evidence as propensity evidence. Prosecutor Binger, during his questioning of Kyle Rittenhouse, brought it up, inducing a strong objection from the defense. And the defense later indicated that they were going to file a motion for a mistrial with prejudice. The judge, he really dressed down Binger. What did you make of all that? Okay, there's there's two separate issues. One issue is, has the judge ruled explicitly um, as to the particular questioning Binger was about to get into? That's number one. So did Binger disregard willfully, according to the defense, and ultimately, you know, according to the judge, did he willfully disregard a very clear ruling? And I don't actually think so. 
The second issue is more interesting, and I think the judge is just wrong. I don't think the statements by Kyle Rittenhouse that he wished he had his AR-15 with him so he could, I mean, the inference was that we could uh, shoot at a bunch of shoplifters. That's not propensity evidence. That's not uncharged misconduct or a prior conviction. That's a statement by the defendant. And conventionally, ordinarily, regularly, in courtrooms across the country, statements by the accused are allowed again when introduced by the party opponent. In this case, that would be the prosecutor. The prosecutor would have to lay a foundation focusing on reliability of the video. But all that would need to happen, really, was somebody able to identify Rittenhouse's voice, somebody reliable enough to lay the foundation. I think probably the prosecution should do that. It doesn't actually worry me that it was a few weeks before this crime, and it doesn't worry me that it was, you know, about something that was unrelated to the Blake shooting. I still think it comes in. It's a statement by the defendant. But all right, there may be a judge who says, uh, that's kind of too remote. It doesn't relate directly to this incident. Finger could have got it in as impeachment as well. He could have confronted the defendant in the following way. According to you, you brought your AR-15 just to protect yourself. According to you, you had no interest in using it against anybody else, and especially didn't have any intention of using it against people destroying property or stealing, because those are property crimes, right? And you're not allowed to use deadly force to intervene in property crimes, right? And then he would say yes. And then the prosecution should say, well, it's interesting, because just a few weeks before this crime, you made some statements about people who were looting, people who were shoplifting. And the statement you made was, you wish you had your AR-15 so you could shoot them. Now, that's a classic impeachment. seems to me if Finger had set it up that way, it would have been easier to get it in. I agree completely, Abby. I want to kind of back up and break that down even further because I think you've hit upon what is the key to the dynamic that has been created here and that the defense has successfully exploited, which is, Binger's lack of clarity about what his arguments are and what his bases are for introducing evidence is running into a buzzsaw with Schrader. Whether Schrader is inclined to guide this thing towards an acquittal for Kyle Rittenhouse or not, Binger's ham-fisted approach to introducing this evidence and to tying it into his overall narrative on the case is, I think, the driving force for a lot of these decisions and interactions by the judge. It's a hard one, Carrie. Singer is absolutely not crisply arguing the evidence or persuasively arguing the evidence because the judge is not convinced. So that's the fact. Now, why? You know, is it because he's you know, inartful, or is it because the judge is so inclined against the state in this case? You know, I'm curious. I'd like to know if the judge rules this way in every other case. I'd like to know if the judge rules this way regularly on behalf of, you know, indigent black and brown defendants, or whether he's giving the defense a leg up. But also, you know, there's lawyerly skill that's involved. When you're up against a recalcitrant, difficult judge, 
It's the lawyer's job to figure out how to persuade the judge. Absolutely. Talking about, let, let me just make this record. The prosecutor doesn't make a record. The prosecutor's not going to get an appeal of an acquittal. The point is not to make a record. The point is to persuade the judge that the law says the judge has to allow this evidence, that the law is clear, that the judge's discretion is limited here. And he's just not making that case in a way that's moving the judge at all. I agree with you completely. And I think what Binger should have done as it relates to this video of Kyle Rittenhouse, he should have been as clear as possible in laying a foundation for the evidence, where it was okay. from, what it was. Number two, when the judge denied it on propensity grounds, on its connection to the events of August 25th, Binger should have immediately said, you know, I would like to move to be able to revisit this issue if the defendant yeah. testifies in order to impeach any statements he would make. He should have foreseen yes. that as a possibility. Yes, he should have. He should have offered a carve out. You know, he should have said to the judge, I understand the court's ruling with regard to using that video as substantive evidence, even though I respectfully disagree, because it's my position that it's an admission by the defendant. Be that as it may, Your Honor, we need to revisit this, or I would move in limine right now that if Mr. Rittenhouse testifies and he suggests something contrary to what's in that video, then it's perfectly proper impeachment evidence. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. In the second part of our conversation, Abby and I begin by comparing Prosecutor Binger's tactical failures in reserving his right to revisit the judge's rulings to the way another lawyer in another case that we covered reserved such rights. It's interesting because we covered the trial of the McMichaels and Roddy Bryan and the killing of Ahmaud Arbery. And this is very similar to what the yeah, prosecutor yeah. in that case did when she decided not to introduce the racist comments by the defendants, but if character issues, if racial bias issues came up during the course of the trial, during the course of the testimony of any of the defendants, then she would have brought them up. As it happened, she right. never brought them up. Binger should have had the foresight to, as you say, make those carve-outs. Yes, it's sort of, and I think also my point about, you know, managing up, dealing with the judge you have. You know, lawyers face hostile judges all the time. As a prosecutor, you're actually in some ways, you know, more limited because the record is not going to help you. There is no hope for appeal. But, you know, Binger should have known that this is a judge who likes a lot of bowing and scraping. He likes to feel like he's in control. And so Binger should have played him that way. You know, instead, Judge, I understand this ruling, but I want to be clear with the court that I believe that there is a carve-out that should this come up in the defense case, of course it would be proper impeachment. Talking about things of cross-examination, oh my God, what another shit show. He doesn't know how to cross-examine. He let Kyle Rittenhouse, a 17-year-old kid, get the better of him. 
time and time again by asking an open-ended question, by asking questions that began with the word why. You don't want to let a defendant explain himself on cross-examination by the state. Kind of unbelievable. You want to make points, but he let Rittenhouse kind of worm his way out of stuff. And, you know, Rittenhouse is a kid. He also just didn't play the witness for who the witness was. Rittenhouse was nobody's fool. He was prepped very, very well to avoid answering yes and no questions. But a good cross-examiner knows how to get a yes or no answer out of the defendant without letting the defendant bury him or her. And, you know, even a lady ended on a bad note, you know, every lawyer knows you want to start strong on a cross especially as the defendant. The cross of the defendant is the show. The reason defense lawyers are conventionally anxious about calling our clients is because you let go of a certain amount of control. You know, no matter how well-crafted the direct examination is, oftentimes even a not very artful cross-examination by a prosecutor can trip your client up. It's nerve-wracking, and, you know, you want to do no harm, especially if the government's case is weak in the first instance. But, man, oh, man, you know, Binger could not seem to take advantage of, of the opportunity he had to show Rittenhouse for who he was, both with regard to the evidence in the case that he could have used better and just the charge. You know, he couldn't even get him to use the word liar about himself. So you weren't an EMT. No, I wasn't. So you lied. Well, I said I, I was an EMT when I wasn't. I mean, he doesn't even control that. He didn't even tell me that you weren't. So saying you were was a lie. It was a study in frustration. I'm going to use it as teaching materials. I'm not to cross-examine. I'm sorry to say. What were some of the other moments that struck you as squandered opportunities in that cross, Abby? The strapped-on gun. The strapped-on gun should have been a central feature of the cross-examination. He went and bought a strap a strap to affix to the gun to wrap around his person, his body, so that nobody could take that gun from him. He should have gone into detail about how it was strapped to him and how it was never going to come away. He should have done a more meticulous fact-based cross-examination about the difference between an AR-15 and a handgun, growth price had. He should have gone into much more detail about that fanciful chain that Rosenbaum apparently had. He should have had some fun with Anthony Huber, a skateboarder. And yes, he should have gone into his intent, both before and after. And I understand a judge's ruling against specifically mentioning the company Rittenhouse was keeping, but you could get the general vibe out there in a cross-examination about the T-shirt he was wearing. Oh, my God, any prosecutor worth his or her salt would have gone to town on that T-shirt. It's so thumbing your nose at the court, at law. You know, one of the ironies, in the case was during one of the more scathing slapdowns by the judge of Bingham. You know, he kept saying, you're an experienced lawyer, you're an experienced lawyer. It, it just struck me as funny because one of the ways in which I reassure students in the clinic I run that they're going to be good lawyers even though they're rookies, even though they're inexperienced, I point out, look, we all know people who have a ton of experience and they're still not very good at what they do. Why? Because they keep doing it the same way without any self-reflection without any supervision or feedback, and they just keep doing the same thing, the same, you know, doesn't, just the finger is experienced, doesn't really answer the question. And, you know, the judge meant it as a put down. I thought it was a shocking moment, frankly, when the judge said to Binger, I do not believe you. I do not believe that you acted 
in good faith. Wow. I mean, that's disciplinary complaint territory, you know, lying to the court. And that's basically what the judge is saying. Uh, that's really personal and very unusual. And, and I, Singer had not made a bad argument about his own good faith. He actually laid that out pretty well. Here's what the court's ruling was. Here's what I thought. And I've been before this court many times, and quite often this court holds its rulings under advisement. Should the door be open? And you, a prosecutor could easily say, well, you know, look, maybe it was the heat of battle. You know, prosecutors get to be adversarial. They, you know, they get to advocate vigorously. Maybe it was in the heat of battle. I should have stopped and said, judge, you know, let me approach. Here's what I want to do. It wasn't a bad argument for good faith. But, man, the judge just, you know, absolutely slapped him down. And I think the judge was inclined to rule in favor of the defense's motion, but was afraid it would taint the verdict in the public mind. Yeah, I think that was a tough one for the judge. It was an interesting motion by the defense. There's a reason they moved for a mistrial with prejudice, because they would have been foolish, in my view, to move for a mistrial in the normal court, which is without prejudice, and cases tend to then be retried. It would have been foolish because the case is going in superbly for the defense. They don't really want a mistrial. They want the case to go to the jury the way it is. But if it had been dismissed with prejudice, it's the same thing as acquittal for their purposes. The case is over. You know, judges are typically loath to grant mistrial motions. I think you're probably right this case was being tried in the public light as well as in the courtroom. And so maybe there were considerations like that. But, yeah, I think the judge was all in with the defense motion. The other missed opportunity that Singer had was, and you and I have talked about how this wasn't the best theory. It wasn't a coherent enough prosecution theory. But the theory that he's the only guy, Rittenhouse is the only guy that shot anybody. He was in way over his head, acting too big for his britches. He was a reckless kid, holding himself out as somebody he wasn't. That cross could have been so much more crisply done. You know, he could have pointed out his age, focusing more on that, and the fact that he's not a resident of Kenosha, whether he has ties to Kenosha or not. And he, you know, was not invited to Kenosha. Nobody sent him a telegram saying, Kyle Rittenhouse, we need you. Come to Kenosha. We need you armed. Nobody asked him to come to the contrary. The city of Kenosha was saying to people, stay away. Stay away. We have a person now because we've got more than we can handle. Please don't come, whatever your intentions are. But you, Kyle Rittenhouse, you decided you, you were needed here, man. You were like Clark Kent, who was going to become Superman. He could have really made fun of him, and he didn't even do that. I also think that the judge, in lieu of granting the motion for mistrial with prejudice, instead snapped at Binger in front of the jury a couple of times and then denied Binger's request to enlarge the pixels. And by that point, I think Binger had completely lost the judge and that the judge was just making rulings to get this thing over with and get it to the jury with as sympathetic a view to the defendant as possible so that he didn't have to rant a mistrial with prejudice and have that on him. You know, maybe that's a fair interpretation of what went on. I don't understand what the judge was doing. You know, video after video, still photo after still photo, were enlarged. Finger wasn't wrong about that. He could have argued that a little bit better. But it's not just that we do it every day. It's that literally if you Google what, you know, zooming into a, a 
photo or a video on an iPhone or any other kind of smartphone. So he was using the right analogy. This magnifies the thing. It does not alter it. It magnifies it. And sometimes, in fact, it's blurrier. You know, you can only magnify it so much. But it is not enforcing anything. And I don't know where the judge was. He kind of had his head up his ass on this one. He was confusing two different things. And also, when when Bringer points out that all these other things have been introduced by the defense, and then the judge is like, you didn't object. See, that was just below the belt. That was just meant to make Singer feel like a fool. But, in fact, it is relevant. The reason all that other stuff came in is because it was admissible. There was nothing objectionable about those enlarged videos or stills. You know, they're regularly allowed in because they are relevant. They are not a distortion. I, I, I think you have right that there must have been some animus that the judge would get so annoyed at Binger that he was going to grant every defense objection and give Binger nothing. If I was Binger at that point, I would have said, you know, judge, with all due respect, I actually need a recess here. Maybe I'm not expressing myself as well as I might, but the suggestion that I need an expert for pinching and zooming a video, you know, then give me a recess you know, let me organize my thoughts. I mean, the subtext of that would be, I think I'm going crazy in this courtroom. The rulings are becoming so bizarre, but there needs to be kind of a cooling off period. I concur completely. It was a shit show of all shit shows. And, you know, again, I have to say, my view is that most of this falls on Binger for misreading the judge, not preparing well enough and not being crisp enough in his theories and in his arguments and in his questioning. And so at the end of the day, the lost opportunity of cross-examining the defendant is on Binger and not the judge. But man, did the judge lean into putting his finger on the scales for the defense in those later rulings. Yeah, I think the judge's entire hand was on the scale assisting the defense. That Rittenhouse, that a 17-year-old kid who's a lifeguard at a pool, got the better of an experienced prosecutor in essentially a murder case, is just embarrassing. You know, I kind of feel a little sorry for Binger, but he created his own demise. One of the moments that I thought, oh, my goodness gracious, after that exchange with the judge where the judge would let him zoom in that video, and then so he has to show it from a distance. And what does Rittenhouse say? Yeah, I can't really see anything. Here. Yeah. So, I mean, so what do they do? They, they move the monitor closer to Rittenhouse. Yes, honestly. But the other argument that Binger was trying to make in the course of the crime, but didn't really argue it, you know, persuasively enough, was his point about the crime with a hole of fear and remorse, and he's saying, you know, he said even on cross, no, I didn't want to shoot anybody. I didn't want to shoot Rosenbaum. I think that other... The video statement, I wish I had my air 15, frankly, impeaches that as well. And he's allowed to chip away at those demonstrations of sincere remorse and childlike weeping any good prosecutor would. You know, you're allowed to say that. Those are crocodile tears. Or he's crying because he was caught. It's just one of my favorite parts. Exquisitely bad judgment. I love that, and it went nowhere. I mean, the judge was either oblivious. Or it was a Freudian twist by the judge when the judge said, you know, well, you know, there are cases where people demonstrate exquisitely bad judgment. But, you know, yes, I could see how certain statements 
consistent with that exquisitely bad judgment might come in. And then Dinger says, that's exactly what we're talking about. That's exactly our theory of the case, is that Kyle Rittenhouse had exquisitely bad judgment at every point, at every juncture. He made exquisitely bad choices, and the judge just didn't get it. The judge then squirmed out of it. The judge could have, you know, tossed up a softball for Binger, which is Binger caught. He said, yes, exactly. And then the judge backed out and just said, well, no, 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 that's, you know, somehow not what I'm talking about. I don't know how the judge could have missed that, but Binger scored no points off of that either. The last lines of the cross were, you had heard from other people that your name was out there, right? Later on in the evening, I believe, I heard something, but no. You knew that your picture was out there, right? No. You're telling me as you sit here under oath that after those shootings, between then and the time you turned yourself into the Antioch Police Department, you had no idea that there was social media out there with your picture and your name as the shooter. And Rittenhouse said, I'm trying to recall, but I can't. I'm trying to remember. I'm sorry. I don't remember. And that was it. No further that was, questions. That was, uh, it was the, the worst possible way to act. Worst possible way to act. I mean, I understand the point he was going for, but, you know, A, he didn't get it. B, it was kind of risky because it was going to be always about Kyle Rittenhouse's subjective, you know, and awfully self-serving recollection. And it wasn't really, it didn't really matter. You know, was he doing it for fame? Was he doing it for attention? That's too subjective and speculative to end on that as a prosecutor. I think it would have been, you know, better to end on the stuff about he didn't make one attempt, not one, didn't make even a move to helping any of the three guys he shot, you know, medic though he was. Or I might have ended on those AR-15 questions. It's just got to end stronger than that. You can't end on him saying, gee, I'm trying really hard to remember. And I'd like to help you out here, Mr. Bigger, but, I, you know, I just, I just really can't remember. All I'm saying is, I turned myself in to the Antioch, Illinois Police Department, you know, within a couple of hours. You know, I did that because I'm a good citizen. I, you know, he's not going to win that battle. It wasn't, it, the surrender, whether it was motivated by his name and picture being out there or not, happened pretty promptly. I, I don't think a prosecutor was going to get any points out of that in any event. Well, Abby, thank you again for taking the time to break all this stuff down, and we look forward to wrapping this up in the next couple of weeks. All right. I'm looking forward to the next couple of witnesses, and I'm really curious to hear if Singer and his team can pull it together for closing arguments and make the kind of arguments they keep making, notwithstanding the wreckage that preceded the closing. All right. Well, thanks again, and drive safely. Hey, thanks, Jerry. That brings to a close this weekly recap of Jury Duty, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us next week as we conclude our look at the defense team's case and as we begin our examination of the closing arguments in the trial. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. 
Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our guest on this episode was professor of law at Georgetown University, Abby Smith. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. It was edited by Chris Taracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and trial audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.